This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Just want to remind everybody here in the second service, um, just a couple of things. We got a bunch of spots taken up by snow. So if you happen to, two things, if you come late, I have some advice for you. Come early. The second piece of advice I have for you is both of the businesses adjacent to us, east, east of us here, the next two parking lots are available to us on a Sunday morning. They let us, Maple Rinders actually owns both of those buildings. They let us use that parking for free. They, they bless us every Sunday that we can use that parking. So those are available. So if you are coming late, don't drive all the way around here and then drive all the way back out. Um, you, and it's actually probably closer. It, it is closer. I measured it when we bought the building. If you park um, in one of the next two parking lots and you walk to our front door, it's actually closer than parking at the very back of our building, just in case you're wondering. So both of those lots are available to us. And, and then once again, we put all, all these extra seats, so we're going to move to the center so we can leave the uh, side chairs for latecomers. All right, we are launching a brand-new series today called Risk Takers. Do we have any risk takers in the house? <laughs> I'm not really a risk taker at all. Um, there's, a, there's a video that plays over the restaurant that we go to occasionally here at lunch, and there's this kid walking on the edge of like of a 50-story building with his selfie stick, all for the content, everybody, walking with his selfie stick on the edge of this building, foolishly. And if you, you, know, if you go on YouTube and you can look up these, I mean, kids are doing crazy stuff, at risking their lives for good videos. So nobody do this. This is not what this series is about. Um, but we, uh, there is risk in life. Does anybody have any investments in the house? Come on now, people. The rest of you need to start investing your money, okay? It's a thing. We have an opportunity in Canada to invest. One of the things your financial advisor will talk to you about is what level of risk are you comfortable with? If you're going to invest in certain funds or bonds, there's a lower risk, and there's other types of securities that you can invest in. There's a little more volatility with those. And so they want to ask you, what type of risk level are you comfortable with? Because with certain things you're going to invest in, there's going to be you know, some ups and downs in the market, and you have to be able to handle the risk. And life is a little bit like that, that there is a lot of ups and downs in life. And, you know, as we are going through life, there is risk in every choice that we are making. That um, choosing uh, something or choosing something else is a risk or doing nothing at all is also a risk. And so we have to decide for ourselves and, and as, as it relates to our lives, what do we want to be as it relates to our lives? Do we want to be the museum keeper of our lives? Or do we want to be the person who um, risks and opportunities that we have, that we're faced with, problems that we're faced with? Are we going to attack those things, go after those things? Or are we going to be the museum keeper of our life, that everything that happened to us good is in the past, and we're just sitting looking through the glass at everything that used to happen to us and forgetting all of the challenges that we are being faced with right now? I looked up this phrase, risk management. A lot of companies have sort of a risk management um, department in their company, and it says this definition uh, is minimizing the negatives and maximizing 
opportunities. And that's how we need to think about life, that we want to maximize our opportunities. And a lot of times, opportunities are disguised as problems. Things that we face, challenges that we would come up against, we want to maximize those things. We want to solve those things. We want to overcome those things. And this is a big part of our relationship with God, that God is journeying with us to help us to do that, to maximize the opportunities that we have in life. And part of that is understanding risk. See, in life, we, we like the idea of guaranteed outcomes, that how I imagine my dreams to be fulfilled, that I want uh, sort of some sort of guarantee either from my family or friends or from God that exactly how I picture my future and how it would turn out, I want a guarantee of that. I want somebody to give me a 100% guarantee that the picture that I have in my mind and then how that thing is going to be fulfilled and who's going to help me to do that. I want, I want to have a guarantee before I start. And there are no guaranteed outcomes exactly how you would picture it and dream it and who's going to do it and how God is going to do this, that, and the other. We, we don't necessarily have guaranteed outcomes in life. But what we can guarantee, we can guarantee that we can take action, that we can actually do something inspired and helped um, by God's spirit, that we can be doing things in our lives. And the other thing that we can guarantee is that we can guarantee an attitude as it relates to those actions. That, see, I should always be choosing my attitude. That attitude should not be chosen for me. I shouldn't be, you know, a, a thermometer. I should be a thermostat. In other words, I'm going to be setting my attitude, that my attitude is not going to be determined by my circumstances, that I'm going to choose how I am feeling and then how I'm acting based on those feelings. So I can choose my attitude regardless if I'm in good circumstances or bad circumstances. I can guarantee that I can choose how I'm going to be, what attitude I'm going to bring into those things as I'm risking, as I'm risking with a choice. So we're going to be looking at this idea for the next few weeks. And as, as we look at some stories from the scripture, uh, this idea will be unpacked a little bit more for you. And it'll get clearer and clearer. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet. His name was Elisha. And he was um, part of the northern kingdom. And he was prophesying about very specific market conditions that were going to happen uh, with, with the Syrian group of people. And then as he prophesied this, there was these four gentlemen who were lepers who were outside of this city that this prophecy was taking place regarding. And we have some very interesting thoughts and ideas from these four guys. So let's read it here in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. Now, people who had uh, suffered with skin disease uh, in this time or considered lepers, they actually had to live outside of the city. They weren't able to be in the city because of, you know, the contagious nature of their disease. So they didn't really have to live away from their families outside of the city. So that's why these guys were at the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So these guys have a very simple outlook on life. If we go there, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So for them, it was kind of, you know, there's a risk at staying here, doing nothing. And then there's a risk of going there. And both of the risks that they're facing is sure death in their minds. And this is how they're thinking 
about their future. We're gonna, we go in the city, we're going to die. If we sit here, we're going to die. So they said, so let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, and if they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. See, these guys have a very simple life philosophy. Life or death is every situation. So they arose at twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians, but when they had came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. Listen to what happened. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us to the, us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight, abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And these when these lepers came into the edge of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank and carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and they carried off things from it and went and hid them. So these guys that had this life philosophy, we stay here, we die, we go there, we'll die. Or if we stay there, they will let us live or they're going to kill us. There was a risk in either decision that they were making. There was a risk in action and then there's a risk in apathy. Now, obviously, we know the end of the story that we just read, that the, that the better choice is always action. The better choice is always doing something. The better choice is not becoming the museum keeper of your life. That God is always moving us forward in our lives. And then this outcome that they didn't really know ahead of time, they went in there and God had done something beforehand so that the Syrian army had heard this loud sound and so they fled the place. And then these guys just walk right into the camp and experience the spoil. But it was a risk. It was a risk for them to go, but it was a risk for them to stay. We go there, we could die. We stay here, we're going to die. And see, these are the choices that we have to make always in life. That there is a risk factor without having, you know, knowing exactly what our future is going to look like. There is a risk factor in the choices that we are making. And we are making choices all of the time. You know, I, my, my youngest daughter and I, we had the opportunity this last week uh, to go to Disney World for a few days. I had I'd taken my eldest a couple years ago. And so this was um, her turn to go with me to go down to Disney World. And she got to go a little bit longer than her older sister. Her older sister a little bit upset about it. Too bad. Us younger kids need stuff too, you know what I mean? And so she got to go a little bit uh, longer. So we got to spend some time there at Disney World. And, you know, as I, as I do and kind of how my brain works, I got a lot of sermon illustrations uh, at Disney. There's two things uh, that Disney is really great for. The first one is getting your money. <laughs> and then the second thing Disney is really great for is people watching. So I got a chance just to watch families and how they interacted. And I got some, you know, sermon illustrations for some marriage things. And then I got to watch a bunch of people poorly raising their children. You know, they're there and they're with these, these kids and they have no idea that their parents are spending thousands of dollars for them to be at the happiest place on earth. And they have really bad attitudes about the whole thing. And they're wearing princess dresses and they got the full thing going on and they're sad and they're crying. And I'm like, child, you have no idea how much money your parents are spending. 
So the first thing that we can see, it's really bad to raise ungrateful children. That's one of the things that I, I saw. And then the other thing I saw there, we were waiting in this one line. We were waiting for um, a picture to go see Tinkerbell. And there was this one little girl, I don't know, maybe four years old. And I felt like going up to her mother afterwards and saying to her, you know, I'm a spiritual leader and I just want to let you know that in 15 years, your daughter is going to be in jail. I have this insight. Because this child, I feel like my father right now. See, my my dad used to say he used to see you know, poorly behaved kids in the church. And he used to say, send them to my house for two weeks and I will fix these children. And be like, dad, you've had Sherry and I our whole lives. It wasn't just two weeks, but he wanted to fix them. Do you know what I mean? Fix them. (laughs) So I'm watching this, this girl, she is rolling on the carpet and her mom is like somehow uh, helpless. Like, what, why is my child acting like this? <laughs> stop it. Stop rolling on the floor. Stop pulling the stanchions off. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, here's the solution for you. Pick up your child. And if they cry, you hold on to them. She doesn't know enough yet at four years old to be raising herself. Raise your children. They're they're not smart enough to raise themselves. They don't know how to act yet and behave. You have to teach them. You have to limit their behavior until they can do it for themselves. It's a good insight. So, you know, I got to watch all these kids and families going through all. And so, once again, here's you're watching these kids and some of these families. What did they do? They risked. Raising their children. And then what's the other risk? I'm not going to do anything. And that's a poor risk. It's not a good risk to take. Apathy or doing nothing at all is not a worthwhile risk. If we stay here, we die. If we go there, we die. We're going to have choices to make. There's a risk in everything that we choose. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1 says this. Send your grain across the seas and time profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. When the clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether the tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. See, waiting for perfect circumstances to make choices and to do things, you will wait forever. Farmers are waiting, you know, I'm just waiting for perfect, uh, perfect temperature, perfect day, and then I'll plant seeds. Or if you're waiting to harvest, you know, I'm waiting for the perfect day to harvest. There is no perfect day. It is a terrible risk to take to not plant any seed. And what is what are seeds? You know, the scripture tells us that the seed is the word of God, the thoughts and ideas of God, that those things that are planted in our heart, those things should be planted in our lives with decisions and actions and choices. 
Why? Because when we put those seeds out, the first part said, what's going to happen? There's going to be some things coming back our way. There's going to be some investment, and that uh, investment is a risk. I'm taking the choice. What's the other risk? I don't do anything. That's risky behavior. I'm not going to plant a seed. I'm going to wait for the weather to be perfect. I'm going to wait for the circumstances of my life to be perfect, and then I'll plant seed. I'm going to wait for the circumstances of my life to be perfect, and then I'll harvest. Then you'll never harvest anything. It's risky to wait. It's risky to do nothing. Let's not stay in that place of apathy or do nothing. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For if you don't, know if a prophet will come from one activity or another or maybe both. I love that idea, that notion that there's blessing in doing. I'm going to plant seed over here. I'm going to plant seed over here. I'm going to do the activity of God. I'm not, I'm not waiting for everything to be perfect. I, I'm not waiting for everybody to treat me right. I'm not waiting for the circumstances in my life to be just, you know, utopian. And then I will actually do something. No, if we do that, we're never going to harvest anything. The risk of apathy, the risk of museum keeping. No, God wants us to be sowing seeds. God wants us to be doing things according to the word of God. Because when we do things according to the word of God, man, we can reap a harvest. We can experience the harvest that God wants for us in every area of life. But the question is for us, what are we committed to? What are the areas of life that we actually want to reap a harvest? See, we need to know these things ahead of time because life is going to happen to us. There will be cloudy days. There will be storms that we're going to face. So we have to know ahead of time what we're committed to. Because why? We want to reap a harvest. Everybody in this room wants to reap a harvest. And you want to reap a good harvest. You want to reap a harvest according to the will and and nature and, and plans of God for your life. So what do we need to do? We need to take a risk and sow a seed. It's a worse risk to not do anything. Just to sit around and wait. Wait for everything to be perfect. So what are we committed to? Psalm 81 verse 10 says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth and I will fill it. So God reminds us of who he is. And then he's asking us to do something. Open our mouths. In other words, we're going to take action first. And then God is going to do something. God is going to respond. He's going to fill our mouths. He's going to be blessing our lives. Why? Because we planted a seed. When it was a storm or whether it was good weather, I realized that I wanted a harvest in my life. So I wanted to plant a seed. So where do you want a harvest in your life? So I have a few areas that I want to mention that I think apply to all of us. And we need to know that we are committed to these things and these people before life happens to us because pressure is coming. The storms are coming. And it's better to decide ahead of time who you are and what you're committed to and who you're committed to because the storms have a way of taking you off track. Where is it that we want to reap a harvest? 
The first commitment that I think that would, would make sense to all of us in this room is that we need to be committed to God. This should be the first commitment, that God should be at the center of our lives, that we want to reap a harvest as it relates to our relationship with God. Understanding who God is, his character, his nature, his promises, his word, that I am committed to him. Because why? The storm is coming, and there's no perfect day. As it were, to somehow grow my relationship with God. If, you know, I just need, you know, if, if tomorrow morning, if I get up, I need the perfect music. I need my wife to treat me exactly right. And God, I want angels at the end of my bed. And once I experience those circumstances, I will grow my relationship with you. Then I will finally read my Bible and pray. Know that I am committed to my relationship with God because I want to reap a harvest in that area. I want to be committed to my family. I want to be committed to my friends, the people that God has placed in my life. What do I want to do? I want to reap a harvest from those relationships. In other words, I want those relationships to be good. I got to spend the week with my baby girl over here. And it's when you get to do that, when you get ex- extended time with your family, you realize whether or not we are at a Disney fast pass line that being with her is important. Being with the people that God has given to you, it's important. Why? We want to reap a harvest from those relationships. So what do we got to do? We have to invest in those relationships. Why? Because it's busy and I got my phone and I got my job and I got things to do, but I want to reap a harvest in this area. I'm not waiting for the circumstances to be perfect. It's a risk not to invest in your relationships. It's a better risk to take the time and to be with your loved ones. Invest in that relationship. Why? Because God wants us to reap a harvest in those areas. What are the purposes of God... For your life. You need to know what those things are before the storm comes so that you know who and what you're committed to. The purposes of my life, I've got it. It's very simple for me. I'm a husband, I'm a dad, and I'm a pastor. And that is all of the things that I do with my life. Everything that happens in my life comes from those three things. So I know that that's the purpose of God for my life. So when the storms rise up, I'm not thinking, well, you know, I guess I'm not going to be a husband anymore. No, that's the purpose of God for my life. No, I've got kids. I, I know this is the purpose of God for my life. So when the storm comes, when my children are having a tantrum on the floor that she didn't do it, this not not this trip anyway, I can't be like, you know what? I'm not a parent anymore. This, this parenting thing is too hard. My dad would say like this, parenting is a hassle. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's a hassle. But it's an everyday hassle you have to embrace. You gotta embrace it. It's hard. They're not gonna obey sometimes. But you can't, it's a terrible risk. When when your kids are going crazy or whatever is happening, it's a terrible risk to throw up your hands and give up. It's not a worthwhile risk. You gotta, you gotta take the risk and get in there. Figure it out. How, whatever age they're at. 
And then I'm a pastor. So I'm not letting anything that happens to me take me off of those things. That's who I am. What are the purposes of God for you? You have to know what those things are. Because there's no perfect circumstance. You have to be committed. You have to know those things up front. We're going to unpack this later in the series. But do you have any convictions about integrity? About being an honest person? And that's going to permeate your life in so many different ways. Because there is a blessing that comes from sowing seeds of integrity. We need to have a commitment to integrity in our lives. In every way. And then for all of us, whether we work inside of the home or outside of the home, this is what our job is. Problems I'm solving for the people I'm serving. This is what you're doing with your life. In case you didn't know. If you work in the home, the problems you're solving for the people that you're serving. Outside of the home, whatever your job is, I know that you are solving problems with your job. Your company serves people in some respect. So what are the problems in my life as it relates to my career and job? It's a risk to do nothing. And to think it will fix itself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got problems on the job and you think, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. You know what? I'm just going to leave it and see what happens in two weeks. That's a risk. It's not one you should take. But then you got to risk something else. You got to get in there and you got to solve those problems. So you got to be committed to those things because if you breathe on the earth, you want to harvest in those areas. Apathy is a terrible risk to take. We want to risk just jump in there. I got to solve these problems. I got to solve these issues. I know God is with me. He's helping me with these areas. All of these people and all of these areas that I'm committed to, God is with me every step of the way. So we want to follow the courage of our convictions. So I'm going to read you a story here, one of my favorite Bible stories. If you grew up in church, you heard this story every other month, uh, you know, at Sunday school. We're going to read here about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So let's turn over to Daniel chapter 3. And, uh, you know, in this time, the children of Israel were taken into Babylonian captivity. And what was really cool in this time, that even though they were captive that many of them actually rose up in ranks in the country of Babylon and were actually serving in the palace and doing great things in a nation in which they were taken captive. But let's read here about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. We'll start reading there. It says, Therefore, at the time, certain uh, Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever, so they're sucking up to him. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. So this was the plan in Babylon that they heard all these instruments playing that everybody had to bow down. And it wasn't to God the creator. It was a golden image or something created. 
And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Now this, you know... It sounds like, oh, you know, we would never be so stupid. We wouldn't build something out of gold and then worship it. And then make everybody think and act a certain way. But this is exactly the world that we live in today. That there is things in culture. Things in culture that are offered to us. That we must worship. And they want to force you to believe it. And they want to force you to think this way. And if you don't think this way, we just want to let you know we're going to be angry at you. We're going to persecute you. This is exactly the same culture that we live in. So these guys are coming to Nebuchadnezzar and they're turning them against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the light, he's got to list all the instruments again. We already know them. And every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Here comes the pressure. Do you ever feel pressure in life? Come on now. Do you live in the world that I live in? What's happening? There's pressure coming in their direction. And when we feel a pressure, the, the risk is, you know, sometimes, well, I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, specifically in the context of this, like, you know, I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to serve the creator God. I'm going to serve these other things that other people have created. There's pressure for that. But then there's just life pressure that we're going to face. And it's being illustrated by this burning, fiery furnace that they're being threatened with. Does anyone ever feel like you're going through the fire? This is what life feels like sometimes, that we're going through the fire or we're being threatened with the fire. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, or if you don't throw us in, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. They had some convictions ahead of time. Do you hear this? They knew what they were committed to before the fire showed up. You you can't force us, king, to do this other thing. You can't force us to worship your gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He was so angry he was going to make sure they were really charred. 
And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace was overheated, and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound to the burning fiery furnace. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. But he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Getting thrown into the fire. See, we just think, you know, maybe we could just skip the fire part. Maybe we could just skip the pressure part. There is no skipping the pressure of life. The example that I've given about raising kids. That is a fire. And you cannot avoid that fire. It's a terrible risk to let your kids raise themselves. But you have to step into that fire and raise your children up so that they can serve God, so they can be good citizens in the country of Canada. And when you step in that fire, God is there in that fire with you. Or the risk is to be like, you know what? I'll just give up. I'll just give up on my commissions. You know, uh, who can be bothered with it? Who can be bothered with the hardship of life? Who can be bothered solving these problems? No, I'm going to dive into the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and to worship any god except their own god. Now listen to the decree of Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't actually a good decree, but let's just read it anyway. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. This is not a good idea. <laughs> and their houses laid in ruins, and there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. On the other side of facing the pressure is promotion. On the other side of the pressure, on the other side of the furnace, there is promotion. 
But what if we risk and we say, you know what? I can't be bothered sticking to my guns. I can't be bothered being a person of integrity. I can't be bothered being a person that's committed to my family. I, I just can't be bothered with, you know, sticking to the purposes of my life because just, you know, life is really hard sometimes and I just, I'm tired of being in the fire. That's a terrible risk to take. A better risk is facing the pressure with God. God is there with us. God's not creating the fire, but God is there in the fire with us. See, the enemy puts you in the fire because he wants you to quit and give up and forget about your convictions. But God is there with us in the midst of the fire. And on the other side of the pressure is promotion. We have to go through the pressure. And listen, the good news is you can You can do it. You can go through the pressure. You can make it through. God will be there in the fire with you. Last verse, and we're finished with this. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of the water. Its fruit is in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. See, the success is in the doing, taking the risk to act. What are the problems that you're facing in your life right now? Can you, can you think about them? It's a terrible risk not to do anything about those problems. It's a terrible risk to take. It's a better risk to jump in with God and say, God, help me to solve this. God, I'm doing this with you. What are the opportunities that you have right now in this season of life that you are facing? And it feels like the fire. God is there with you in the midst of that helping us forward. And the other side of that pressure, there's promotion. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for your goodness today. We're so thankful, Lord, that you have good things for us, Lord. And we're so thankful that we have the opportunity in our lives with you to face the pressure of life, to face the problems of life, to take the opportunities that are in front of us. God, we step out and take a risk and we act with your wisdom and with your love and with your grace and with your power. Thank you, God, that your spirit is with us every step of the way, leading us and guiding us and empowering us. That the power of your spirit is with us all of the time. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.